0: Good morning. Please be seated. Thank you so much. Again, my name is Craig Thompson, and I'm the senior pastor here. It is our privilege to have you as we've gathered together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. If you have your Bibles, they're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 12, in just a few minutes. There are a few things I need to call your attention to um, this morning, if you'd allow me. We do have, man, I thought I was getting like some background music going there. That would have been kind of awesome. Maybe next week. We need an organ. Can we bring an organ back just for that? All right. Um, There's a Next Steps class this afternoon. Um, Somebody asked me, so let let me make sure that we explain clearly what our Next Steps class is. There's no commitment that comes from our Next Steps class. If you think, hey, maybe I'd like to be a part of Malvern Hill, or maybe I'd just like to learn more about what it means to be a part of Malvern Hill, um, we would invite you to come to our Next Steps class. It's at four thirty this afternoon in the room right outside that door right there. There's a, there's a conference room, so please come and join. I'll be leading that at four. Excuse me, at four o'clock. At four o'clock this afternoon. I told you wrong. At four o'clock this afternoon. Uh, This evening is also a churchwide fellowship, so if you come to our Next Steps class, we're going to reward you on the back end by making sure there are snacks and ice cream for you this afternoon. So uh, we'd love for you to come be a part of our churchwide fellowship, bring your favorite churn of ice cream and uh, a snack or a finger food. My wife has promised me she's going to bring something healthy, so if anybody wants to bring cheese sticks and, and hot wings, that'll be fine. Uh, so please, uh, come and and bring, bring some ice cream and bring a snack and let's just have a good time together, uh, in the Lord, uh, offering envelopes are out here. Deacon nominations, uh, will be taken next Sunday. Um, there, there, there are, um, scripture references in your bulletin this morning for what the qualifications of a deacon are. So I would urge you to spend some time in prayer and contemplation over the next few days as you consider who it is that you might nominate to serve as a deacon in our church body. Um. Finally, this morning, uh, we're accepting resumes for a part-time administrative assistant position. Uh, Diana has uh, accepted another job and is is deserting me. I mean, is going to better her family. Um, But uh, we certainly will miss her. Uh, She'll be with us for a few more weeks, but on the back end, we will be needing to uh, uh, replace her. So if you guys will um, just... Uh, pray about that. If you know somebody, please pass that information along, and you can send those emails, uh, emailed resumes to admin at o r All right? Thank you again for being here. I'll make another reference to it, but uh, we did have a great uh, time on our family mission trip this week. Uh, we we survived. I don't know. Did you mention that already, Adam? Okay, I'm sorry I couldn't hear anything in the back. But we did have a really good time this week. We we're able to make some really good contacts. I, d- I do believe we made an impact there in Atkinson, North Carolina. Atkinson is kind of like going back in time. It's really like walking into Mayberry. It is it is smaller than Bethune, I believe. So, um, uh, but uh, we we had a great time. Good group of folks that went. We we're able to really bless a church there. And uh, maybe you can ask some of those folks and some of the experiences they had. But we really were able to see the gospel uh, working, particularly in a couple of, uh, a couple of lives. And, and, and hopefully we're praying maybe in, in one particular family there. So we are grateful for your prayers as we were gone and thankful for that. All right. If you have your Bibles, hopefully by now you've made it to Mark chapter 12. We're going to begin reading in verse 18. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. And I'm going to read Mark chapter 8 to chapter 12. Verse 18 through um, verse 27. "...And Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring." The second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would show us where we're wrong. And Father God, put us in your right paths. Speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I have, uh, you, you guys remember back in the fall. For those of you who are not brand new since then, and some of you are, many of you are, uh, back in the fall we had a a series of revival services. A friend of mine named Condi Richardson came and led those. Condi is a former pastor at at Hermitage Baptist Church just down the road. I was able to see Condi while I was at the convention uh, two weeks ago. Uh, He currently pastors up in Greenville. Condi comes from a family of pastors. His dad was a hardware salesman, but both of his brothers ended up going to the ministry. Uh, and so he has a brother that's a pastor over in Sumter, and he has a brother that pastors in Arkansas. And his brother that pastors in Arkansas um, went through a, a difficult time, as, as we have before, with a number of deaths that followed one after the other. And he had two funerals, um, I believe, on the same day. And he, he came out and he, and he preached one of those funerals, heartfelt. Um, and uh, Wyman is the kind of guy that writes his sermons out. He, he carefully manuscripts those messages and, and takes care. Sermons matter to him, and funerals especially matter to him. And he wants to make sure that he honors the deceased. He wants to make sure that he cares well for the family. Um, and of course, he wants to make sure that he communicates the hope of the resurrection. And Wyman came out and he preached that message with all of his heart. And with all of his urgency, and as he came near the close, he realized that he had grabbed the wrong notes. But he didn't recognize it till the end of the funeral. So for an entire funeral, he referred to the deceased person by the wrong name. For an entire funeral some of you looking at, "How is that possible? Listen, folks, I've done funerals for people I didn't know very well, and it's hard. There's no real recovery from that. He was wrong. And he was wrong in a big way, and he was wrong for a while. Folks, how how wrong have you been? See, we've all messed up somewhere along the way. How how many of you have gotten a speeding ticket before when they pulled you over? They asked you this question. Do you know how fast you were running? (laughs) Well, I do after I saw your blue lights. But how about this one? Do you know what the speed limit is? That's the one that gets you every time. Do you know what the speed limit is? And you say, yes, sir, it was 65. And he says, no, it was 35. And your heart falls to your feet and you go, oh, please don't take me to jail today. Being wrong is not easy. Now, for some of us, we're not wrong all that often. You know, even even I, though, once a decade or so make a mistake. that my wife doesn't catch every other time she sees it on the front end. But we, we, we don't enjoy being wrong at all. And yet, here in this passage of Scripture, we have Jesus being confronted by a group of people who are very, very wrong. Jesus says they're very wrong about the Scripture, and they're very wrong about the power of God. And I want to suggest to you this morning that sitting in this congregation today, there are probably many people who are pretty wrong. There are probably many of you who have gathered here today who have a wrong understanding of the Scripture or a wrong understanding of the power of God. I want to ask you this morning, just how wrong are you? You see, it's not wrong to be wrong. It's just wrong to stay that way. Sometimes we're wrong on purpose. Sometimes we know we're wrong. Before they invaded Iraq, Donald Rumsfeld famously said this. We've got the the known knowns and we've got the known unknowns. He said, but what's most concerning are the unknown unknowns. In other words, they're the things that we know we know. They're the things that we know we don't know. He said, but the thing that's most concerning is that there are things that we don't even know that we don't even know. You see, for some of you, there are things that you know that you know. There are things that you know that you don't know. But the most terrifying realities are those things that you don't even know that you don't know. And I believe that these Sadducees who confronted Jesus on this day with this question, if we're going to approach them with the most optimistic attitude possible, I believe it's quite possible that many of these folks just didn't know what they didn't know. They really just had no idea what it is that they didn't even know. But can I tell you that ignorance is a dangerous thing when you cover it up with some good pride? Right? Because when you don't know what you don't know, but you think you know everything, then all you do is end up with egg all over your face a lot of the time. So I want to look at three things I believe we can grab from this passage of Scripture. And in this sermon this morning, you're going to hear from two of my favorite theologians. So I want you to be prepared because we're going to listen to Jerry Clower and Augustine. A theologian from the 20th century and a theologian from the 4th century. One from Yazoo City, Mississippi and one from Northern Africa. Folks, first thing I want us to see this morning as we come to this passage of Scripture is that you aren't godlier than Jesus. You aren't godlier than Jesus. Now, everybody that hears me say that goes, well, I know that. But I want us to wrestle with that just a little bit. Now, the Sadducees who approach Jesus, these are are not just some Johnny-come-lately group of folks. This isn't just like these jokers just walk up and they don't know anything. The Sadducees were, as best as we can understand, were probably the ruling priestly class. The aristocracy among the priestly class of, of Israel and especially within Jerusalem right there. These are men. They're exclusively men. They make up most of the priests during the time. Now, generally, we, we as, as best we understand, and most of our understanding of this comes from Josephus, but as best we can understand, you got the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and the Sadducees, if you remember the song you learned as a kid, they're Sadducee because they didn't believe in the resurrection. So if you have a hard time remembering that, that might help you. Um, and so that's why they're so sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Now, Mark doesn't, y'all can laugh, it's okay. Mark doesn't assume that his readers know who the Sadducees are. You remember, you see that that he introduces them. The Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. This is part of why we believe that Mark was probably not writing to a Jewish audience. He needed to introduce some of these parties. So the Sadducees come up. They want to have a conversation. Really, they want to have a confrontation with Jesus. Now again, these are the priests. And it's from this class that the priests are going to be made up. These are people that pride themselves in two primary understandings. They pride themselves in knowing the law of God, the Pentateuch, the Torah. They pride themselves above all that when it comes to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, they know it backwards and forwards. Upside down, inside out, and every other way that you might be able to imagine. They also understand power. And the importance of ruling in the religious sector of their culture. Because they need to, you ready for this? They need to protect the word of God, the traditions of God, and the things of God. These are men who for quite some time have made up this ruling class of priests. And so when they come to Jesus, these are the most conservative human beings on the planet. Now, when we talk about conservative, you've got to step out of Democrat and Republican. When I talk about conservative, these are people who say, this is the way it is, this is the way it was, this is the way it's going to always be. And come what may, come hell or high water, we're going to stand right here and we're going to make sure that nothing ever changes. And if you want to argue with us, that's fine because we're going to run back to the Word of God and we're going to beat you half to death with it. And when it's all said and done, you're going to be so confused and overwhelmed by our power and our understanding that you won't ever come back to us with this all over again. Okay? So the Sadducees... They approach Jesus and they want to trap him. They know that Jesus believes, or at least they strongly assume that Jesus believes in the resurrection. But they want to assert their superior knowledge and power over Jesus. Think about how dangerous that is. They want to assert their superior knowledge and power over Jesus. Jesus, I know better than you do. Folks, how often in your own life, even if your mouth didn't say it, your actions have suggested that you knew better than the Lord? Well, I journaled about that this week. But see, this is what my journal said. It said, Lord God, forgive me because I know there have been many times when I didn't say, as the psalmist said, your rules are righteous. But instead, I said, Lord God, your rules are getting in my way. Now let me explain to you, Lord, how I'm supposed to be handling all this. So it was a time of repentance for me this week as I wrestled through the reality that though I would probably never form my mouth to say, God, you are wrong, my actions had said otherwise. So they approached Jesus and they say, Jesus, we've got a question for you. And the Bible tells us that they said, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow. Now this is what we know as Leverite or Leverite marriage. Right, And in the Old Testament, it's important for us to understand who were the people of God. Right, The kingdom of God was what? The people of God in the place of God under the rule and the blessing of God. We don't understand this as Americans. You've got to step out of your sort of uh, republic, democratic mindset of an understanding of government. You've got to walk into a theocracy. The people of God are... intimately tied to the place of God. In fact, the property was so important that God even instituted what we, we know of as the year of Jubilee. That once every 49 years, everything was going back to its original owners. Everything was going back to the original family. So you couldn't even sell your property into perpetuity. Right? You could sell it if you wanted to, but the person who bought it knew that essentially they were leasing that property for 49 years or whatever was left of that time period before the year of Jubilee would come back, and then it was going to go back to the original owners. Okay, There was an understanding for the people of God that comes from God Himself that the, the, the land is intimately tied to their faith and to their government. And as a result, it was very important that the land remain within the family units to whom it had been originally given by the Lord Himself when the property was divided. When the twelve tribes entered the promised land. Okay? You tracking with me? And so, as a result, as a result, when a woman married a man, there was a law that came from the Lord. And the law was called the law of Leverite marriage. And if, if a woman and man were married and the man died suddenly, or he died young, or died for whatever reason and left no offspring to this woman, then Moses said from the Lord that... That man's brother was to then take his brother's wife, his sister-in-law, essentially, in marriage and to marry her for the purpose of propagating his brother's offspring. Okay? Now, listen. I know this freaks some of y'all out. You think about the fact that you'd have to marry your brother-in-law and you just want to crawl up under (laughs) the pew. Just move past it and just take my my word for it. This is what happened. The first time that Angela and I ever talked about this, she just looked at me and she said, there is no way. There is absolutely no way. All right? Regardless, this is what the law was. Okay? Heard some amens come from behind me, I think. This is what the law was. And so the Sadducees, who know more than Jesus, remember, that's what they think, they decide they're going to corner Jesus and say, Jesus... So we know that the law says that if this woman's husband dies and leaves her no offspring, then she marries the brother, and the brother, and the brother, and brother, and so on, until she's now been married seven times. And through all those seven marriages, she's had zero children, and then she dies. Jesus, since you're so smart, and you believe in the resurrection, Jesus, why don't you tell us who gets to be married to this woman? Folks, this is an area where many critics within the church like to go. When they want to attack the pastor or other people within the church, they don't simply acknowledge a difference of opinion. They feel the need to show their dominance in biblical understanding or of power. The Sadducees were just like the cancer that can invade a church and create massive, terrible division. The Sadducees prided themselves in being experts in both the Torah and in power. And so they, they 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 narrow it way down to where they can focus and they look at Jesus and they say, "We're going to fight you on our territory." It's interesting what Jesus does. Jesus looks at them and said, "Is this not the reason you are wrong?" Now in the original it, it says something like misdirected or mis- this is a strong word. Strong word. Now, we have this fear of using strong words in the church because we're afraid that if we use strong words, somebody will take their ball and go home. Folks, we've got to be willing to look at one another and use strong words. When we contradict the Scripture, somebody needs to be willing to lovingly look at you and say, You are wrong. Anyway, he says, this is why you're wrong, because you know neither the scriptures. Oh, first shot. Are you kidding me? Who do you think you are, Jesus? We don't know the scriptures. Oh, we've been here. You ready? Let's take this back to church division. Hold on. You're going to love this. This is great. Jesus, we were here before you got here, and we'll be here when you're gone had a man walk in my office one time years ago, and he looked at me and he said, Son, I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive. Who do you think you are to teach me something? I said, Brother, I don't think this is the place for you. The Sadducees say, Son, who do you think you are? Jesus says, You don't know the Scriptures. All, or the power of God. Jesus hit them right where it hurts. Jesus went straight to the root of their problem. You see, the Pharisees knew, or the Sadducees knew what they knew. They might have known what they didn't know, but they didn't know what they didn't know. They had a blind spot as big as all the world, and they had no idea. They thought they knew the Scriptures backwards and forwards, and Jesus looks at them and he says, You don't even know the Scriptures that you're claiming to use to lord your power over me, and you certainly don't know the power of God. Of course, we know they don't know the power of God because the power of God is what is the gospel. Jesus is the power of God for salvation for all who would believe. But then to make matters even worse for the Sadducees, Jesus doesn't point to some like obscure text in the middle of Leviticus, right? Jesus doesn't take them to some uh, obscure text and sort of uh, parse a verb and go, boom, there it is. How could you be so blind as to miss it? No, Jesus says, Do you remember the story of Moses in the bush? Well, <laughs> Well, of course we do. This is. This is maybe you know the second or third most important story in all the scriptures for a good believing Jew. Of course we know that. How dare you? He says, do you, do you know it? Well, if you know it, then you would know that when Moses saw the burning bush, when he approached it, and when God revealed himself, he said, I am the, the God of, of who? He says, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Jesus says, He's not the God of the dead. Well, the Sadducees really can't handle this because what the Sadducees believe is that God is a God of victory. okay? And what the Sadducees believe is that God's going to give you all the victory He's going to give you in this life, and that's it. But when God refers to Himself not as the God of Moses, the living to whom He's going to bring victory... But as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he's referring to people who are either dead, and as a result, God could not win, or he's referring to people who are alive, and as a result, God did bring the victory. Jesus said, he's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Folks, let me remind you that you're not godlier than Jesus. We often feel... Some need to protect Jesus or the Bible or, or even his church from some sort of harm. What would happen if instead of behaving like the Sadducees who are working hard to protect power, we just follow Jesus? One of the things that has swept through the Southern Baptist Church in recent, uh, really about the recent 12 months has been a, a sexual abuse scandal that is, has that is, is rocked our convention now, the, the abuse is not near as widespread, I don't believe, as some of the media has portrayed it to be. But it's a problem, nevertheless. And it's a problem because in some corners within our convention, we've seen men who desired to protect their power or protect their position or protect the church rather than to care for the people who have been, who have been abused. Folks, let, listen to me. Jesus doesn't need you to protect him. God doesn't need you to protect him. And I'm going to tell you this. He doesn't need you to protect his church because it was God who said that he would give power to his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. It's not Craig Thompson that's in charge of all this. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords and he is our great warrior God who does not need us. Charles Spurgeon once told us, and I love this, this passage. He said, so many people are worried about protecting the Bible and protecting the Word of God. He said, that's like protecting Protecting a caged lion. He says, open the cage and let him out and let him take care of himself. The Sadducees were concerned with protecting the status quo. What if we stopped trying to protect the status quo in Jesus and his church and just started trying to obey? On my way home from a mission trip on Thursday evening, we had a bright idea. We looked at our schedule and on Friday morning, we were supposed to wake up, eat breakfast, and come home. And we all talked about that, and we said we could either wake up and eat breakfast and come home from our air mattresses, or, and this was where the genius came out, or we could deflate those air mattresses on Thursday afternoon and drive home Thursday night and sleep in our beds. Listen, there was not a lot of discussion. We didn't have a vote on that. There wasn't a motion. Robert's Rules of Order were not followed. It was a unanimous decision. It was spoken by a standing vote. Everybody stood up, packed their stuff, and got in the truck and left. But on my way home from the mission trip Thursday evening, had my four kids. Angel wasn't able to go, so it was just me and the four kids, and we're in my truck. And um, uh, so I blessed my children by listening to Jerry Clower on the way home. You know, he shared some really good advice for Christians in that that I listened to. The first thing he says a Christian should get involved in a, in a Bible-believing church. And that's so true. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is no New Testament evidence of a follower of Jesus Christ who does not belong to a local church. Period. End of discussion. Ever. At all. Christians belong to a church. He says you should spend time in prayer and God's Word. But then I love this one. He said, Christian, if you're part of a church, you're spending time there, he says, I would urge you, and this is great Mississippi grammar, stop nitpicking. Love that. You know what nitpicking is, don't you? Well, if your children have ever had lice, you know exactly what nitpicking is. It's awful. But you know, there are people that are sometimes like to nitpick within the church. They're just sitting behind you, just looking for that little bitty white bug in your hair so they can reach in and grab it out. And you just go, don't you have anything better in the world to do than that? The Sadducees are nitpicking Jesus. They're just looking for a crack in the armor so they can attack. But I loved, I loved what Jerry Clower, one of our favorite dead Southern Baptist statesmen had to say. He said, if you're, if you're too busy nitpicking in the church, he said, I've got a suggestion for you. Why don't you walk outside of the church, find a lost sinner, share the gospel of Jesus Christ, lead them to the Lord, walk them down the aisle, let them join the church, see them baptized. And As the tears run down your face and the joy of discipling a new believer takes over your life, he said, you'll quit nitpicking and you'll start rejoicing in the gospel messages coming forth from the church of Jesus Christ. The Sadducees were so concerned with maintaining the status quo, they didn't notice the kingdom of God when it arrived in Jesus. Have you ever known folks like this? Have you ever known people that were so concerned with making sure their church was just so, or it stayed just so, they didn't notice the kingdom when it arrived? Some of y'all think I'm preaching at this church. Oh, here, Let me just give you a story about my gratefulness for this place. I'd been here for just a short period of time, maybe a year. And we baptized a a man in this church. I'll never forget his father came to me afterward. His father-in-law came to me afterward. He said, you know, I'm not sure that I agree with everything you're doing here. But if that is the end result, he said, I will follow you 100%. Folks, that's the difference right there. What are we about? What are we about? Are we about seeing the waters of baptism stirred? Are we about seeing children come to the Lord? Are we about seeing men and women come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Folks, listen to me. We can't maintain the status quo and see the kingdom of God go forward. we got to be out and about in the community, sharing the good news and the hope of Jesus. And if you're so consumed with making sure that you've understood every jot and tittle and maintaining the power and the status quo, here's what you're missing. You're missing out on all the people that are running past us that need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, but pastor, we know that you're supposed to wear a tie and not have long hair if you're going to preach in this church. And I say, you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. For Jesus said that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, and that we are to get outside the walls of the church and make disciples of all nations. The Sadducees didn't know The Word of God or the power of God to save and to change. They didn't see the needs of others as paramount to their own comfort. See, they thought they were godlier than Jesus. Do you know God's power? Let's ask it this way. Do you actually believe in God's power? Do you believe that He can save to the uttermost? Do you believe that he can rescue you from your addictions? Do you believe it? Do you believe that he can rescue you from abusive relationships? Do you believe it? Do you believe that he can still save your children? Do you believe that he can still save your parents? Do you believe that he can heal you from the sins committed against you? Do you believe that he can set you free from the chains of sin that hold you bondage? Do you believe? In the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's enough. Don't try to be godlier than Jesus. How about this? Just try to obey Him. Do what He says. Second this morning... Read the Bible as God's Word. So first, don't be, you're not godlier than Jesus, or don't try to be. Second, read the Bible as God's Word. The Sadducees probably wanted to serve the Lord. I, I, I really want us to back away from this sometimes. Sometimes we, 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 we tend to want to see the world in black and white. Right? We, we want to see the black hat and the white hat in the old western. Right? And, and the gunslinger, the bad guy wore the black hat. And the good guy wore the white hat. I don't know who the guys were wearing the brown hats. They weren't anybody, I guess. And that's the way that we want to see the world. We want to paint the world in in these dualities. So you're either good or you're bad, you're right or you're wrong. And so we tend to want to look at the, the Sadducees and go, bad. And look at Jesus and go, good. We tend to want to look at people that, that maybe bring division within a church and go bad and people that try to bring harmony and go good. And what I want you to know is that people are a lot more complex than that. The Sadducees honestly, I, I, let's, let's, let's be optimistic here. It's possible that the Sadducees honestly believed that they were serving the Lord and serving the higher purposes of God by standing for something. They were trying to protect the Scriptures. They were trying to protect the temple and the people of God and the kingdom of God. The problem is they had begun to read God's word over time as if they had control over it. Folks, if we're going to to make a difference in this world, we've got to see this not as a word that I control, but a word that I can't cage in as a word that will rip me up, tear me to pieces, and spit me back out whole. See, that's the incredible thing about the Word of God. See, if it's like if Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall and they couldn't put all the pieces back together again, the Bible pushes you off the wall. God's Word will push you down, rip you all up, but then it puts you back together in the way you were supposed to be from the beginning. It's pretty incredible. God can't do anything until we're broken before Him. Do you know that? Do you know that? He can't do anything until we are broken before Him. See, they forgot that this word they were reading was God's word. Have you ever begun to believe that you had power over the word of God rather than the other way around? When you go to God's word, remember what it is and what you are reading. What is this? What if it's not just the opinion of the people that wrote it down? What if it's not just a beautiful piece of literature? What if it is as it claims to be living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword? What if it is literally, as Paul wrote to Timothy, breathed out by God? In 2 Timothy 3.16, you've heard me say this before. Paul didn't have a good word. Now, we have a kid that makes up words. Sloan makes up words, and y'all, it is so aggravating. I regularly look at him. i Have I told you all this before? I say, "Speak." we speak English, son. We speak English, which is just fine most of the time. But there was, this, there was this one time when we were in a store in line, and I turned around and looked down at him. I said, son, we speak English. Do you understand me? And I looked up, and there was this sweet little Hispanic lady behind me. And I just thought, oh, dear God, Please. Please don't let her think that that was direct. I mean, it just there was nothing I could do at that point. Like it was all done. Just just go home. Just hang your head and walk away. But but he he just makes up strange words and m- maybe he'll be like J.R. Tolkien and he'll just create these languages and write the next Lord of the Rings or something. I don't know. But for now, I know that it's just aggravating. But the Apostle Paul needed some words. He needed some words that, that the Greek language didn't have. And, and when he began to try and explain and describe the word of God to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, he said that the word of God is theanoustos. It's like one of the three Greek words I know. theonustas. that is God, theos, nostos, breathed. It is breathed out by God. What if this word is, is not just words on a page What if it is the very breath of God blowing life into your lungs? What if it is the very breath of God that through the power of the gospel blows away the sin and the shame of your past and brings in the life-giving power of Jesus? What if it is the very breath of God giving you CPR at just the right moment? What if it is the very breath of God blowing warm upon your face? But folks, what if it's the very breath of God blowing as a hurricane to rip you apart so that you can see the beauty in the middle of the storm? You don't get to control this Word. You don't get to determine its meaning. We bow under this Word, for it is the Word of God. And it is by the very Word of God that God created Read the Bible as God's word. Not man's word, not Craig's word, not your word, the word of God. Third this morning, read the Bible through the power of the gospel or the power of the resurrection. Another one of my favorite theologians is Augustine of Hippo. Some of you know him as Augustine. That's wrong, but you still know him, so it's okay. Now, Augustine was a bishop... In North Africa, the 4th century AD, he wrote some of the most important theolo- theology of the church for the first, really, thousand fifteen hundred 1,500 years of the church. In many ways, his theology continues to shape the church today. The Protestant Reformation was just a hearkening back to the theology of Augustine. But Augustine kind of dabbled in lots of things in philosophy and apologetics. But one of the things that philosophers throughout the years and theologians have wrestled with is whether or not belief comes before faith or understanding comes before faith or faith comes before understanding. In other words, do we believe and then we understand or do we understand and then we believe? Now, there have been some, especially those who are are more rooted in evidentiary apologetics and things, that say we've got to understand before we'll believe. Augustine said, and I believe he's right, that faith comes before understanding. That before I'm going to have a full understanding of all the things that God has for me in his word, I've got to submit myself under the holy and mighty hand of God. The Bible shows us the same thing, I believed. It was often after people believed that they began to understand. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter twenty. And if if you're not familiar, here's how it goes in your Bible. Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John, okay? John chapter 20, we're going to begin in verse 5. This is, the disciples have heard that Jesus' tomb is empty. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. They believed and then they understood. They believed and then they understood. Folks, we've got to read the Bible through the power of the resurrection. We've got to read the Bible through the power of the gospel. When they saw the empty tomb, then they fully understood the scriptures. Only then, after they believed, did the Bible and the teachings of Jesus begin to make sense. They believed and then they understood. God stands ready to give you understanding. Will you come in? Will you? Will you come and receive all that he has to offer? Some of you say, I still have questions. Here's the problem. The Sadducees didn't come to Jesus with real questions. The Sadducees come convinced that they understood. And they were trying to convince Jesus that they were right. Folks, I'm curious this morning if you'd be willing to come to Jesus even if you don't have all the answers. I'm curious enough if you'd be willing to come to Jesus even if you don't have... You say, but pastor, I still don't understand. This week I had an opportunity to teach uh, a group of adults about discipleship and I had, had this woman who was just very blunt, honest... And she said, she said, I can't read the Bible. I said, you, you're focused on all the parts you don't understand. I said, would you be willing to talk with me about the things you do understand? Well, I can't understand any of it, is what she told me. I said, any of it? Could you understand the part about Jesus being born in a manger? Well, yeah, I understand that part. All right, cool. Could you understand the part about Jesus teaching people? Yeah, I, I kind of understand that. I, I don't always understand all the parables. Okay. But what about when Jesus explains one? Then they, Oh, well, yeah, that, that, that makes pretty good sense. But the book of Revelation, I mean, who can understand that? I said, well, what, what is the book of Revelation? She said, I, I mean, it's all about the future. I said, what if I told you the book of Revelation was a letter? Well, what? what? I said, right there. It's what, it's, what, it's what it says. It's a letter to seven churches. What if I told you that even though it's hard for us to understand John assumed that all the people to whom he wrote it had a pretty clear clear, and easy understanding of what he wrote. Well, I never thought of it that way. What, what, if, what if this Bible is never going to make sense until we believe in the power of the resurrection? What if this Bible is never going to make sense until we believe in the power of the resurrection? Now, now, now some of you go, Well, Craig, now, you said that that... that, that that f- f- belief comes after faith, you said, but, but they didn't really believe until they saw an empty tomb. That's fair. But do you know what they didn't do? They didn't rationalize away an empty tomb. See, here's what you, you're, you're forgetting. You're reading back through 21st century eyes. When they saw the empty tomb, if you see an empty tomb, what do you assume? I mean, I, let, me, let me back up y'all can lie in church all you want, but we all know the truth of the matter is if you walk out tomorrow, this afternoon and we see a bunch of holes out there in the cemetery, not one of us is going to go, aha, there they are. They all come up out of the grave, didn't they? No, we're, we're, looking, we're looking for tracks and we're looking for where the backhoe pulled in and pulled out. We want to know why the bodies were taken. Y'all think this is funny? There was, there was a grave that was moved out there one time. Nobody assumed that, that guy got up and moved. Everybody assumed that that person was, was exhumed and moved. My home church, they, they had to widen the road. This was before I was ever born. But they had to widen the road. And when they had to widen the road, they had to move bodies from the church cemetery. And so the cemetery is divided by the road now. Nobody assumed when they saw all that that those bodies got up and walked out. And yet the Bible tells us that when they walked in and saw the empty tomb, they didn't go, "Ah, somebody took the body of Jesus. The Bible says that they believed. And when they began to believe that the Scripture came alive, they believed and then they understood. You say, but pastor, I don't understand all of it. I'm here to tell you today that you don't have to understand all of it. It's okay to not know everything. As a matter of fact, I'd say it's okay to not know a whole lot of things. How wrong are you? You might be really wrong. You might be the person that said for the longest time that the Bible doesn't make sense. And I'm here to tell you today that even if it didn't make sense to you before, if you give your heart and life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God gives you new eyes to begin to see the Scripture and it begins to apply to your life in ways that you never knew it could. But Craig, I don't know. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to worry about it. See, the most important question isn't, what don't you know? The most important question is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Christ and the power of his resurrection? The Sadducees came to Jesus and said, why don't you give us something? Because we know that you're wrong. But we can look back and know that the Sadducees, were, Jesus wasn't the one that was wrong. It was, it was instead the religious leaders who were so confident in their opinion. How wrong are you? Let's ask it a different way. How wrong are you willing to be? Because you see, the obstacle that keeps many people from coming to Jesus isn't the rightness of Jesus or the wrongness of their heart, but the pride that refuses to allow you to admit that you're a sinner and that Jesus is the only way. The obstacle that gets in the way for many people to come to Jesus is the pride that says, I won't be wrong. Folks, I want you to know that it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to be a sinner in the presence of the Savior. Because when you come to Jesus and you lay it all down before Him, he takes all of that on Himself. See, it's okay to be wrong, but it's not okay to stay that way. I'm so happy when we see adults be baptized in, in, in our baptistry. I'm happy when we see senior adults. I'm happy when we see young men. Because one of the, one of the obstacles to belief for many adults is that, 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 that then, then what would everybody think? You know what's awesome is when we see 70-year-olds and 40-year-olds give their life to Jesus, it begins to pull down some of those barriers because people begin to look around and go, Hey, I'm just like that guy. I'm just like that lady. He was wrong, but Jesus is always right. How wrong are you? Well, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person. And the Bible says that as a result of our sin, as a result of our wrongness, our brokenness, that the wages of sin is death, that we actually deserve to die because of our sin. Our sin has separated us from our God. It separated us from those around us. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How wrong are you? We're wrong enough, sinful enough to bust hell wide open when you die. But this is how right that God is, that while you were yet sinners, while I was still a sinner, before life had ever been breathed into our lungs, Christ died. See, we deserve punishment for our sin, but Jesus in His grace died so that we may have life. You say, Pastor, how could I ever get there? The Bible promises us this. First of all, says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Every single person. Though you deserve hell, you get heaven if you call on the name of Jesus. You say, you don't know how bad I am. You don't know what I've done. Listen, Jesus does. And he makes another promise that is worth more than its weight in gold. You ready for this? He says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pastor, you don't know how wrong I've been. No, but God does. And He sent His Son Jesus to make a way for your wrongs to be made right. And He promises that He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness And if you'll call on the name of the Lord, you'll not be turned away. We're going to sing in just a minute, and when we do, I want to ask you this morning, are you courageous enough to admit that you're wrong, but that Jesus is right? Are you broken enough to come before the Lord and say, God, wrong as I am, please take me. Dirty as I am, clean me up. Broken as I am, put me back together. Are you willing to come and say, God, I don't understand how, but somehow, Lord God, I believe that you can actually forgive me and heal me. Lord, I believe that you can set me free from the bondage of sin. And so, Lord God, even though I don't understand it all, I come today, Lord God, and I lay my life down right here, and I pray, Lord God, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And Jesus, I'm going to trust that you're enough. As we sing this morning... Would you come? You could come and I'd be happy to pray with you. Perhaps you'd come and just lay your own burdens right down here at the front of the sanctuary. Perhaps as we sing, the offering you bring to the Lord is not an offering of praise and worship, but an offering of penance and confession. However it is, the Lord's working in your life. As we sing, would you come? Stand with me as we pray. Father God in heaven, We know that Jesus is enough. Lord, I pray that you'd work this morning. Father, forgive us for the sin of the Sadducees in our own life when we've not believed in the power of the resurrection. Forgive us, God, when we've not believed that the resurrection was real enough to set us free. Forgive us, Lord God, when we've taken confidence in our own understanding and we've leaned too much on it, Lord God. And our own hearts have led us astray. And Lord God, would we turn from our own understanding and turn completely to Jesus today? God, would you take burdens upon yourself? Lord God, would you take some of the heavy, weighty burdens of sin off of people in this congregation this morning? Would you give them your burden? It's light. God, could we see some people stand up straight today when the burden of sin is lifted and the glorious. Salvation of Jesus is laid upon them. Would you be at work? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.